Welcome to this Summer Sabbath Sunday here at First Presbyterian Church. I'm Danny. And I'm Connie. Let us worship God in spirit and in truth. Scripture today comes from the book of Romans, the 12th chapter, verses 1 through 8. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function. So we, who are many, are one body in Christ." And individually, we are members one of another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Prophecy in proportion to faith. Ministry in ministering. The teacher in teaching. The exhorter in exhortation. The giver in generosity. The leader in diligence. The compassionate in cheerfulness. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second lesson, it's a good one. First one was a good one. Today is great scripture. Matthew 16, 13 through 20. This is Matthew 16, verses 13 through 20. Listen again with fresh ears. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some said John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven." Then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone he was the Messiah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So good stuff this morning. Can't go wrong. The last few weeks have been great passages with Jesus doing healings, stories we know, good imagery, and today is no different. The Romans passage we'll get to in a little bit, but want to start Start us off in Matthew. And here we are on Matthew 16. 
And the context of this is it starts in verse 13, and the first four verses are the Pharisees and the Sadducees telling Jesus to do a sign, do some kind of sign and wonder. Now, in Matthew's, there's 28 chapters, and, and the Passion Week, Holy Week, our Easter week, starts in chapter 21. And so from 16 to 21, Jesus is doing these last discourses, these last-minute reinforcing of his theology, understanding, mission, and what others are called to do. And so by this time, folks have seen Jesus heal, have heard Jesus teach. Many have walked with him and been a part of this movement of Jesus starting to bring people together to reconcile to God through himself. So in other words, there's a pretty good amount of information and knowledge about Jesus, but people are confused, just like the Pharisees. You're some kind of magician. Do us, do us a trick. Pull a rabbit from a hat. Show us how powerful you are as God's son. And Jesus says, you faithless generation, you don't get it. This isn't about the miracles. It's not about the wonder, so to speak. It is far deeper than that. And I'll do no sign for you. I'm not your trained monkey. The last thing that you will see is the sign of Jonah. Now that is understood as Jonah being in the belly of the whale for three days, as Jesus will be in uh, the tomb for three days. So it's a, a veiled reference to his coming uh, resurrection, uh, crucifixion and resurrection. But they don't understand that and they don't get that. So then... The questions keep going. Well, they think I am this. They think I am a trickster. They think I'm some kind of magician. And so we come into our passage, and we are in Caesarea Philippi, which is about 25 miles northeast of the Sea of Galilee. And as you look in your mind at that mental map of the Middle East in that portion, you have the Dead Sea at the bottom. You have the thin, squiggly uh, Jordan River. And then the Sea of Galilee up north where Jesus was from and did his early ministry around the Sea of Galilee. Now Caesarea Philippi, again, it's a little bit 25 miles north and a little bit east of that. It is a Gentile community. It is filled with worship of other gods, full of idols, filled with all kinds of things that the Jewish disciples at this point would have just been literally shocked to see. Coming from their Jewish religion that says no graven images, no idols, only one God, and here they're in this land of many. All kinds of Greco-Roman gods, all kinds of pagan entities and deities were there. So again, this is the context for which Jesus then ask the question. One of the fundamental questions that Jesus asks of Peter and each one of us and on a daily basis. First, it's easier. So they're in this context, they're surrounded by all of this mess they have never experienced before with, again, these idols and deities and temples to what they would deem as false gods. 
The Pharisees have been questioning Jesus and putting him in this one little category. And now he's in a place where people may know him less. How do they see him? He's wondering. Now that I've done a lot of my ministry, what are people thinking? And so he asks, who do people say that I am? Who do people say that I am? And that's the easier entry level because it's not your thought. It's not your internal faith, belief, vulnerability. You don't have to answer in front of the class. It's easier because it's other people. Who do people say that I am? Well, some of them respond, well, maybe Elijah, maybe Jeremiah, maybe John the Baptist, other prophets. And those were biggies, by the way. So Jesus should be flattered on some level with Elijah, John the Baptist, and those two having a connection as Jesus says, John the Baptist is Elijah, as Elijah was seen to be the one who would come before, precede the Messiah. John the Baptist did that. You've got Jeremiah, and again, other prophets. Jesus says, okay. Looks them all dead in the eye, I'm sure. And says, but who do you, you say that I am? That's a little harder. That's the one we have a little more trouble with. We can be in the world and somebody says, what, what do Presbyterians believe? Well, what Presbyterians believe? What do you, you're a Christian, you go to church. What, what do you Christians really believe about Jesus and X, Y, Z, topic here, topic there? Again, you're Presbyterian Christian. What, what does that mean? What does it do? Well, generally our, our system of government is this, and our, you know, we're committee people and represent, you know. Jesus came to do this, our Savior, our Lord and Savior. Okay, and that's, that's easy. That's Apostles' Creed kind of stuff, right? That's all there provided for you. We say it almost every week to give you some vocabulary of faith and a starting point and a continuing point to remind ourselves of what we as Christians have believed throughout the millennia. But then it's a lot harder, isn't it? If you're in a one-on-one -on -one conversation or maybe you're in a group of friends and you're the only Christian and they say, okay, that's, that's what now, now what do you believe? Because certainly within our Christian umbrella, even within our Presbyterian umbrella, even within this room, our understanding of God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit is vast. We see Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. After that, all bets are off. There's a lot that Scripture tells us that we interpret in different ways. There's a lot of how we operate and focus on different things. Baptists are over here, Pentecostals are over here on the Holy Spirit. And so we do things a little bit differently. So it's a harder question. It's more invasive. And it's harder to respond because then it is your belief and then they can hold you accountable. God, those crazy Presbyterians, they just, you know, I go to church, I don't really believe some of that or all that, or I get this, but I don't get that. Same thing with Christianity again. But when somebody says, what do you believe? Then the wheels turn a little bit differently. How would you respond? And Peter, as we know, to be impetuous, passionate, 
for all the flaws that we know about him. He jumps out and says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. That's pretty good summation at this point. If you want to go to that right away, it's, it's Matthew 16, 16. E easy to memorize. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. They're surrounded in a place with dead God, dead idols. Nothing there is living. And here is God on earth through Christ. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. As if to challenge every other false temple in God that surrounds them. And Jesus gets excited, almost giddy, and responds, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. Nobody told you this, Peter. You may not have even figured this out through my teachings thus far, because again, we know Peter's going to go on to deny Christ three times. There's still some confusion. But God in heaven revealed this to you. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And Peter, that Greek word for rock, not a common name in that time and place, is bestowed upon formerly Simon, that sometimes we know as Simon Peter and then Peter. You are the rock, you are the anchor, I will build my church. Now, we don't want to misunderstand and say that Peter is the rock of the Christian church. Christ is the cornerstone. He is the foundation. Christ is what undergirds, gives us strength, life, vitality, spirit, hope, joy, love, all of those things. But Peter's being called to a specific and important task. To help bring the early church, Peter will be key. And on this rock, I will build, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And that's something, and Hades would be more a place of the dead than outright hell, although many translations say the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I think that's accurate as well. And I think that's the case. I believe that. While the church might ebb and flow in different countries, in different forms, in different denominations, in different ways of being Christians, in different types of buildings or no buildings at all, with people all over the globe, I believe the Christian church will always exist in some form until Christ comes again because of this statement. Christ has given power to the church to continue his work, to be faithful, and defend off those powers of death and evil and darkness in the world. That is one of our main callings as church. That's a lot of power. Just as Jesus gave Peter this power. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on the earth will be loose in heaven. Then it ends with them 
sternly ordering that they don't tell anyone that he was the Messiah. He wasn't there yet. Once that was clearly out, they would be all over him, both supporters and those who wanted to have his life. And he needed a little more time before they finally knew who he was or claimed to be, if you were a skeptic. So the keys of heaven, keys to the kingdom of heaven, and the power, and that's what this binding on earth and in heaven is all about, giving the power as he did to the disciples earlier. When he sends the 12 out, he gives them power to heal, to teach, to cast out in his name. And now Peter is that first representation of the power that has been given each of us in the church. Again, it's pretty amazing. It's very possible that if you look back to the Lord's Prayer, as given in Matthew, that kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, can be directly tied to this event. What is a little bit, what is heaven on earth? It should be the church. I don't mean heaven is in, yay, a beautiful place where we eat chocolate cake all day, although that's not bad. But a piece of heaven on earth, a part of God's kingdom that exists, should exist as an example to the world through each and every church that claims to follow Christ as the Messiah and Son of God. We represent in these walls the kingdom of heaven to the world. Wow. That's amazing. And I think we lose sight of that so often. Hey, just going to church, just doing our thing. I hope the preacher's not too long today. Not much you can do about that. What are we doing tonight? I don't know. Wednesday night? I don't know. If we get back in touch with this original call of the church, and many believe that while Pentecost we look at as the birthday of the church, when the church descends and sends, the, uh, the, the Holy Spirit descends and sends out those disciples, this really is the start and birthday. With Jesus saying, the church is going to come and it's going to come through you first and then boom, you won't even believe how it's going to expand and grow through the gifts given. And so don't let anybody ever tell you that the church is some kind of human construct that was created for power and money. While the church has been certainly involved in those things in its history, this is Christ divinely inspiring and bringing into, be, into being the understanding of church. And the word he uses, ekklesia, that Greek word that we use for church, it doesn't mean a building. It doesn't mean a synagogue. It doesn't mean a temple. It means the called out ones. Ones who have been called out. Another great way to think about our Christian calling. Called out of what? Well, called out of our living and only working within the powers and principalities of this earth and of this time. 
called out of our own sin, called out of our own death, called into the joy of walking in the grace and majesty of Jesus Christ through this life and into the next, we are called out, called out of our homes, called out of our structural churches to be God's people in the world, the called out ones. To show and share the nature of Christ. I remember very well, in 1979, I was 11. Again, to some that makes me an old man, to some that makes me young, to some just perfect. I remember seeing the movie, TV movie on Helen Keller's life for the first time. Hadn't known very much about it. Made a big impression. I can still see bits of it in my mind. Melissa Gilbert from Little House on the Prairie was Helen Keller. And Patty Duke, who pioneered the role on Broadway in 1959 as Helen Keller, played Anne Sullivan, who was partially blind herself, who came to be the one who helped Helen Keller, who was deaf, blind, and mute, to communicate. Imagine what your life would be with no sound, no sight, and no ability to talk. My goodness, I can't. And of course, she was frustrated. She was becoming aggressive because there's no way, there's no way to communicate with anybody. And the story is told later on. I remember, uh, I remember that scene when she gets the first word. Do you remember what the word was? Water. Right. They're in the pump out front, and she's trying to do it in, in the hands. Water, water, water. Again and again and again and again. And then finally she gets it, and it is this amazing moment because she understands, she understands how to communicate, and everything takes off from there. She became an author, political activist, lecturer. But in this one story, it's about her introduction to the Christian world, to Christ. When Helen learned to communicate, Anne Sullivan decided it was time for her to hear about Christ. So she summoned a renowned clergyman of his day, Phillips Brooks. Brooks came and with Sullivan, Sullivan interpreting, he talked to Helen Keller about Christ. Soon a smile lighted Helen's face and she beckoned for a chance to respond. Through her teacher, she said, Mr. Brooks, again, through her sign language, through Sullivan, Mr. Brooks, I've always known about God but until now, I didn't know his name. She knew God's nature, but not God's name. Many people know the name of Christ, but they don't know God's nature. She was blessed to know the other. Our job as those who were called out, called out ones, are to reveal God's nature to the world. We are not the rock as Peter was, but as 1 Peter 2.5 tells us, we are the living stones being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ. We are like living stones, each one of us. 
So in some way, we are like Peter, called out, sinful. Sometimes we don't get it. Sometimes we are amazingly faithful. Miraculous things happen through us, and then sometimes not. Same thing with Peter. To be the living stones, to be these called out ones, is where we live and work today. That is the rock. The rock and roll, R-O-L-E, comes from Romans 12. If you remember Vicky talking about that, all those gifts, that comes from Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. Those are two 12s that are in the similar concept and use gifts given by God in the image of the body of Christ. Therefore, each of us as a called out one, each of us as a living stone, each of us who answers the question of who Christ is as Messiah, then are given gifts to go and use. That is our role, R-O-L-E. First we are rock and then we give our role are given our role, and we go. Romans 12, the rest of the passage is great too, but I can't get to it. So go read both of these passages this week. Romans 12, 1 and 2, one of my favorite passages about transformation, renewing your mind But the call today is to rock and roll. Answer the question, who do you say that Christ is? And if it is Messiah and Son of God, then you, like Peter, are one who is called out, a living stone, to take the gifts that Romans 12 tells us that we've been given by the Spirit, to go and be His light and transform the world so that others will know to have this bit of kingdom here on earth that we can show and live by example. What a joy, what a calling. Let's go. Hallelujah. Amen.